Welcome back or welcome to the Strages Grow Well podcast. I am your host, Nate Reese. You're here because you believe disability is an inability. This podcast was created to tell Olympic and Paralympic athlete stories on the road to Tokyo and beyond. Today on episode 21, we have a treat for you. We have my teammate and good friend, Mariah Kelly. Mariah is a mid-distance runner who specializes in the 1500 with a PB of 409. Mariah wears many hats, professional athlete, coach, ambassador, plus much more. Something that maybe Mariah doesn't know is that she's actually one of the most influential people on me, and that is a very, very short list. Without further ado, welcome the person who banters with me the most on a daily basis, Mariah Kelly to the Strides with Grey Wolf podcast. What's up? Hey, Nate. Thanks for having me on. You know what? I didn't know that. So, like, I don't know. I feel like I just won an Oscar. Like, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty, it's, pretty high honor. <laughs> it's it, it's it's written down in my great in my gray wolf mentality. So it's Mariah Mariah Kelly is at the top of the list. So um, well, I hope you know the feeling is uh you know I feel likewise about you, <laughs> I, even though I'm reluctant to say that on the air. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know, I know, I know. So um, we have we have a uh, fan question. So I figured we would start off with that. Uh, and I can't tell you who it's from because it's going to give it away. But oh, the great. question is, who is your favorite teammate and why is it Aaron Teschuk? <laughs> <laughs> well... I don't know if I can say you're my favorite, Aaron. You know, that that's 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 a tough one. But I will say that you are one of my most I don't even know what to say. I guess I could say that I guess you're my favorite. I guess I can't really get around it. <laughs> <laughs> but I have many favorites. So I'm not I'm not pointing pinning myself in a corner on that one. It's <laughs> like a trick question. Thanks a lot, Aaron. <laughs> so I thought it would be really interesting to start this podcast off with who is Mariah Kelly? Because I think we all have our thoughts and who we think Mariah is, but uh, deep down, like who who do you think Mariah is? It's a good question. I feel like um, I I I'm figuring that out as I go. You know, I think everyone kind of figures out who they are as they, they go through life. And I guess, you know, for me, when I figure out more about the depths of who I am is when I go through a challenge. Because I think that's when true character shows through. And I think you would agree with that. You know, yeah. Unfortunately, too much. I would agree with that. Um, I feel like, I feel like sometimes, you know, just in life, you're like, oh, I'm this person, and then something happens. You're like, well, damn, I'm not that person. I'm, I'm someone else because this event has changed me. I mean, I would never think I would be a Paralympic athlete. Like I, I mean, Olympics, hundred percent when I was young, and then boom, this happens, and it's, it's crazy the way that like events can just mold you. No, it's so true, and and it's like what um. I feel like John always talks to us about this. Like, how do you look at life? Do you look at it um, glass half empty or glass half full? And uh, challenges, when you come across them, it's easy to kind of look at it glass half empty. But I, I think 
you are so great at this is, you know, you look at a challenge and, and you see it as glass half full. And when you can do that, you know, challenges can, can bring you to new levels in so many different ways if you embrace them. But if you resist them, then they get taken down pretty easy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, speaking of challenges, I know you and I, uh, I think our performance mindset is like really similar. And I know mine kind of comes from a dark place because, you know, in movies you see when someone's about to die and they're on that feeding tube. And I never thought like I would have to experience that. But that's where like my performance mindset comes from. And I've I've always envied you because you're pretty much as tough as it gets. Um, and so where does your performance mindset come from? Because we've never really talked about this. We both just think each other's pretty tough. But like other than that, I've never really heard of where it actually comes from. Yeah, I mean, I feel like a lot of the reasons why we get along so well is because we think similar and, and we go about things in a similar way. But uh, unlike you, you know, I've never been through a, a super big challenge like you have. Like I've never been on a, a feeding tube and I've never got hit in the head with a golf ball and had to deal with the challenges of disability after that. But I, I, I do connect with having motivation from a dark place. And, and I think, uh, you know, I don't, I don't really know where it comes from. I guess maybe just the fact that like my whole life, I've always been the, the big underdog. Like I've always been told, you know, you're not good enough, give up. And, and that's sort of, my dad used to call me the angry runner because I would just fuel off of anger. And, and I think I do in a way still, but uh, I, I try to be a little more on the, the loving side of things now because I realize that although anger is a very powerful emotion, it is not as powerful as love. So I, I try to, to find a happy balance with both, but I do love like, you know, stories like yours, of people who overcome big challenges and, and, you know, go beyond just surviving them, like thrive on them. And, and I think I get my motivation from people like you and, and other people who have similar stories. So I, I really live through others, I think, in that sense, since I don't have one of my own that I would describe in that way. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I mean, it's it's so funny. Like, it's like, yeah, like these big, big moments happen, but sometimes it doesn't need to be like catastrophic. Sometimes it's just like something happens to you and it really, really pisses you off. And then it all of a sudden just changes you. Like, I think you're more a controlled rage, like, especially when you're on the track. Like, uh, you're a very loving person, but man, when you when you hit the track, I'm like, I better not misstep <laughs> when I'm pacing Mariah or I am going to get run over like a train. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, it's funny because, I mean, you just paced me on the weekend, but I was thinking, you know, because you go through the worst case scenarios before a race, so you're prepared for them. And I, one of my worst case scenarios was like, well, what if Nate goes out way too slow? And my immediate thought was like, I'm just going to yell at him. I'm going to tell him, pick it up. <laughs> <laughs> but you know i know i can say those kind of things to you and you're gonna thrive off of it yeah and it probably won't it probably won't be nate pick it up there'll probably be a couple other <laughs> words attached to that one yeah but, you know a lot but, of uh, other words <laughs> <laughs> yes absolutely and obviously we know where you are now very successful and but like how did you get into track and field and how did niagara falls play a role into your actual passion for the sport yeah, that's a great question. Uh, my mom 
was always a runner. She was um, a good runner in high school, but then had some injuries and had to leave the sport. But she was a marathoner. So I, I grew up on the marathon scene with her. And my dad was a police officer and high level hockey player. And so he was, you know, he always brought the intensity. I think I get a lot of my intensity from him. You know, he built us a gym in our basement and he used to take me down there and and bring me through a whole weightlifting circuit and used to have me box with him, which, you know, I think a lot of my, uh, my fire comes from those sessions. But uh, I started running, you know, seriously when I was 15. I joined a local track club in Niagara called uh, Niagara Regional Athletics. Now it's called Athletics Niagara. And honestly, like before that, I had a natural ability, but it wasn't like a prodigy or anything. And I decided to join the track club because I was tired of sucking. You know, I wanted to be good at this thing called running that I really enjoyed doing. And to me before, you know, running around a track, I used to just run in the woods all the time, like just nonstop. I was always high energy and high emotion in everything I did. And so when I found running, it was like an outlet to be a little more normal because, you know, if I wasn't running, I was like, like Jim Carrey's daughter, you know, like just crazy. Like just, I needed Ritalin is what I needed, but no one ever gave it to me. <laughs> so I, I ran instead. And, and that was, uh, I mean, it mellowed me out. It, it allowed me to be more normal, but you know, there's even, I think Heather would even comment on this, you know, she likes to give me really hard training cycles so that I'm not so loud, <laughs> but it takes a lot to shut me up. I'll say that. But yeah, I mean, as soon as I joined uh, Niagara Athletics, it was just sort of like, I just got better and better every year because of the coaches there and the training group there. We had a great little club. And then, you know, I got this idea in my head that, I was going to run in the NCAA and, and always I wanted to make the Olympics. So it was the number one goal all the time. Everything else kind of like plopped in as stepping stones to that. Like, oh, I have to go to university in order to continue running to get to the Olympics. So I'll go there. And, and then when I got to university, it was like, oh, I'm going to have to keep running after university to get to the Olympics. So I guess I'm going to do that. <laughs> it was just like whatever it takes to make the Olympics was always the plan. Yeah. When in high school did the realization happen that you wanted to go to the States for college? Because there are some pretty good running colleges in Canada. And so when did that kind of thought pop in your head? Um, so uh, this is not at all to discredit any of the Canadian universities, because I think that they have amazing programs and a lot of amazing Canadian athletes have come out of those programs. But I was just of the mindset that the best athletes in the world went to the NCAA and they trained in the U.S. And I wanted to compete with the best. And I wanted to be a part of, I wanted to be in over my head, you know. I wanted to go to a school where I had no business being and I wanted to get to a level that people thought I couldn't get to because that's just who I was. It was just in my blood that I wanted to do that. And I just, at the time, I didn't see the Canadian university system as providing as much of an opportunity to compete with the best on a regular basis as the NCAA did. And so I just figured it was a better opportunity to challenge myself and prepare myself for the next level. Yeah. And so you go to Niagara Falls to Waco, Texas. Oh God. So uh, <laughs> how was that transition? 
I mean, I can't even imagine. Like, I remember going from Arizona to Victoria, and I thought that Canada and the U.S. were like really, really, really similar, but there's quite a bit of differences. And so, how was it going from Niagara Falls to Waco, Texas? Well, I had to tone it down a lot. <laughs> Let's say that. But uh, yeah, it was very different. I, I think the most challenging thing, and and this is not at all to do with the culture more the temperature like i went from niagara falls that has the coldest winters you'll probably experience and some of the most mild summers to waco texas where like the humidity is 100 percent and it's 100 degrees at 6 a.m and so that first cross country um season i was getting heat stroke like every other week <laughs> Because I just like, I got this big mane of hair and then I'm not used to the heat. So it was just a recipe for disaster. But, you know, after you got heat stroke a few times, it was like, okay, I'm adjusted. But that happened every season. Like I never escaped the heat stroke season. Like I always went through heat stroke and then I got over it and it was all, all better. But that was the hardest. And then I think too, you know, it, it was, yeah, it was very different culture. Like Baylor was a Baptist university. There was a lot of people there that were um, very strong in their faith. And, and I grew up in a Catholic home. And I even am reluctant to say that because we were Catholic, but we weren't really Catholic. <laughs> like we went to church on the holidays. Like I know people know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so it was it was interesting seeing people um, who were truly invested and committed to their faith. And it was uh, it was different. And I wasn't used to that. But it was it was uh, it was something to see. It was special in a lot of ways. And and I would say, you know, as difficult as it was to to feel like I fit in sometimes, it was fun to stand out, too. So. Yeah. And like, I feel like when I went to college, I had this just, I, I thought I knew exactly what was going to happen. I was going to make NCAAs my sophomore year. Then junior year, I was going to make the final. And then senior year, I was going to try and win a medal. And I didn't make the NCAA once. So how was your experience versus what you thought it was going to be before you actually went? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, similar to you, you know, like I went in like thinking, I'm going to be the best when I leave. And it was a freaking crapshoot, you know, <laughs> like didn't go that way at all. And so, you know, I went in and I came in with two metatarsal stress fractures. And like, I'm not talking about like stress, like normal stress fractures. Like, I mean, I shattered two of my metatarsals, like completely done. And so I was out for half the year um, trying just to get back to running. And that sucked because I came in and, and I wasn't like a really big recruit. I was running 211 in high school and that was my best. And so I had a big jump to make and being injured was not going to help me make that jump. And so I sucked. I friggin' sucked. I ran four 54 in the 1500. Okay, people, that's not the mile. That's the 1500. And that's not high school. That's my first year university. So I was garbage. <laughs> there was high school girls that would have handed it to me, no problem. Um, and I, I mean, I just, 
I was angry about that and I put that anger into my training and eventually I was running 416 and 205 in the 800 from like freshman year running 214 and 454 and it was just a lot of hard work and a lot of stubbornness my coach at Baylor his name was coach Harbor he used to call me one of the most stubborn athletes he'd ever coached and that's what I was I was just I was stubborn like if I just felt like I could do it I was gonna do it and I was gonna run through 18 million brick walls if it took that (laughs) yeah I do remember when I first moved up here calling my mom and being like yeah I think I found someone as stubborn as me (laughs) Uh, and she was like really i was like i was like yeah i know i know it's hard to believe um but yeah i i I, she actually might be more stubborn than me which is kind of impressive (laughs) you know what and i i feel like when i first i feel i met you for the first time in san diego if i'm right and i remember you know talking to you for the first time and my first impression was wow this guy just threw sauce back at me i love him (laughs) like because the most reaction, normal reaction I get is like people are taken back by what I say to them, but not you. You were ready. You came back with fire. And I was like, this guy is like, he's everything. Where, who, who is he? I just remember growing up and like f- like new friends would come over and they, my mom would be like, did you just know he's like faking his brain injury? Like it didn't actually happen. <laughs> <laughs> I know I actually watched a, a video and your mom and I think I'm not sure if it was your dad or your stepdad but it was your mom for sure I know and she was just talking about you and talking about you as a kid and I just everything about her like she didn't say anything about her personality or anything she believed in but I could just tell that she was like the same as you and I was like who is this lady I need to talk to her more <laughs> I know, I know. I was like, Mom, you cannot come to Victoria because we cannot have you two in the same area or I, my life will be over. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, yeah. Our and parents it, are great. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Most of the time. <laughs> and so, and then you made another big trend transition to, to the hub. Um, when did you kind of think that, oh, I can be a professional athlete and um, knowing that you want to make the games and how was that transition from Texas? And then now you're going up to Victoria because Texas is, you know, something. And then Victoria is, you know, uh, very different. It's very more, 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 more hipster, not as much in your face. Um, I personally love Texas, but, um, yeah, it, it must've been another kind of awkward or just different transition. Yeah, honestly, it was like, going from one extreme to the other you know i was going far right and then swinging far left and uh, i love texas too I, I think texas has a lot of great qualities a lot of great people and victoria same way but you're right very different very different um and i think my thought process after university was simple and it it had nothing to do with professional running i didn't even really think of that i was more thinking how am I going to make the Olympics? <laughs> so, and the only way I could do that is join a professional group. So it was just a part of the equation. And I was looking around. I actually looked at your old alma mater, <laughs> Furman University with Robert Gary. I was thinking about that group and I was thinking about uh, 
a group in Portland with uh, Jonathan Marcus and and I came across Heather by accident. Like it was, it was like fate. Uh, one of my old club coaches knew I was looking for somewhere to go after Baylor. I was even considering staying at Baylor, but the whole visa thing made it complicated. So um, I was uh, talking to him, telling him my issue, and he told me about Heather. Never heard of Heather before in my life. But I was thinking like, hey, it's a chance to go back to Canada and see what it's about. Like, maybe I'll check it out. And so I talked to Heather on the phone and uh, she invited me to come check it out. And I did. And I got to Victoria and I had no, like, this sounds dumb. Okay. And I admit being a dumb Canadian for this, but I had no idea where Victoria was, what it would look like. None of it. I didn't even know the island existed. Okay. And judge me all you want, but I didn't know. <laughs> and, and the only thing I knew about BC was Whistler and I loved Whistler. And so when I got to Victoria and saw that it was similar to Whistler in a very mini scale way, I was like, oh my God, this place is incredible. <laughs> and uh, I met Heather and she was incredible. And, you know, I don't know, there was a weird connection between us. I can't even describe it, but I just felt like she was the best way I can describe it. And this sounds weird, but she was like the yin to my yang, you know, like if, if she was um, water, I was fire, but we complimented each other well from my first impression with her. And I knew she was going to be, for some reason, I had no reason to believe this, but I knew she was going to be someone to help tame some of my neuroses and psychotic mindset. <laughs> And and I know, I'm sorry, Heather, if you're listening, I know this has been a complicated job for you. <laughs> I should have went to the psych ward first, but, but, you know, she's been absolutely incredible. And the reason why I ended up choosing Victoria was actually more because it was somewhere at the time that I could see myself living, even if things didn't work out. And, and I was being realistic at the time because I was coming out of university of 416 girl. Like realistically, I had to make an enormous jump to be, even be in the ballpark to make the 2016 Olympics. And on, at the time I was, you know, had half a brain cell and I didn't get hit by any golf ball. <laughs> I thought that, you know, if I don't make this Olympics, I'm not going to try for another one. But then I came to Victoria and I got to train alongside um, Hillary and I got to see, you know, how much it really took to prepare to be ready to make an Olympics and realize that I didn't have enough time to make that kind of jump in a year. And I just wasn't in a place where I was going to be able to do that in 2016. So that's why I recommitted to 2020 because I still loved it, still wanted to work hard. And I realized that making an Olympic team was a long road. <laughs> Boy, is it a long road. Holy yes. smokes. Um, <laughs> what was your initial thoughts when you heard about the pandemic? Um, and I remember my thoughts where I was just numb. I just stared at my like white wall for like four hours. And I was just like, I can't believe this is happening. Um, I didn't really know much details um, about it. But I just remember getting a call from Heather. And she's like, Nate, are you okay? And I'm like cussing like crazy. And like, But what was your kind of initial reaction? Yeah, I mean, similar to you, man, like, I remember the first thing I heard was that Canada pulled out. 
you know, and the, this was before the Olympics got postponed. So I was through the roof. Like I went to my room, I turned the lights off and I sat in a corner. <laughs> I was just like, like, this is ridiculous. How could we pull out? But then, you know, I called Laurence and we had a conversation and Jeff was on the call too. And he was just saying how, you know, he thinks that the Olympics are going to get postponed. Canada is not going to be the only country. And then other countries started pulling out too. And Heather called me, told me the same thing. So, you know, I started to have some hope that like, okay, well, we're not just going to miss an Olympics. Like the, the Olympics are going to get postponed. It's going to happen another time. And so I never really had the like, oh, this is not happening. You know, I, well, I did for a moment and that was terrible. But then when I realized like, it's just going to be put on pause, it felt a little better, but it was still hard, you know, like, you know what it's like, like you're in Olympic year mode in the Olympic year. And, and it's so hard to turn that off. Like I was like deep in it. And, and I think that what I did next was a lot to do with how deep I was into that mode. And so, and by that, I mean, like, after I got the news of the postponement, I just did a six week training block. That was like the hardest block I'd ever done, the most volume I'd ever done. And I was dealing with a little bit of a niggle that I was ignoring and just friggin' pounding away at the training. And I just think, you know, I, I had nowhere to put that devastation and that energy. And so I just put it into my training as I do all the time. And it led to an injury, which in hindsight was stupid. But honestly, like, I don't regret it because I feel like I learned a lot through the process and the injury was minor. So it wasn't a big deal in the grand scheme of things. But yeah, it was really hard. That was a long winded answer for no reason. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I feel like our team, we're so well integrated, which I mean, the, the communication within our team is just really, really good. And I think two themes of our team is being adaptable and having a why. And um, I never thought I would have to get a doctorate and uh, being adaptable um, during during this time. But and I think John really always stresses you have to have a why like you have to have it and has your why evolved at all during this time? Because I'm sure it's 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 really been tested. Oh, yeah. And and that's the thing. Like, I mean, and I'm with you, like, John has always been really persistent on us knowing our why and, and keeping that sacred. And for me, my why before all of this was simply because like I loved it and I had this pure passion for what I was doing and I really wanted to see what I could do. And that, that was just burning inside of me and that was, this is my why. But then when this whole pandemic happened and the social injustice movement happened, it became so much bigger than just me. Like my why definitely evolved. I think I, I realized things about myself that I didn't really like and I wasn't proud of. And, and a lot of it had to do with how selfish I was in, in my pursuit of this goal and how many people I loved paid for that selfishness, especially Dennis. And I think I saw Dennis in a whole new light. I realized after like, this is, again, I'm, I'm saying this because I, I think other people may experience this too, but after eight years of being with him, I realized I never really knew what he went through. I never really understood what being him meant and what being black was like. 
And when I saw that for the first time after the George Floyd incident, it hit me like a an 18 wheeler. <laughs> it was it was a tough one. And I cried a lot because I was just so ashamed of how blind I was and how ignorant I was to what someone I loved and, and so many other people I cared about in my life were going through. And so I think, you know, now knowing what I know and, and really starting to understand it and, and feel it and try to actively seek it out in my everyday life, it, it's just, it's given me more, more energy to my why because Dennis has always been very much a part of my why, but now everything, his whole being is a part of that too. And, and I'm with every person who wants the world to reach a place where everyone is treated equal and that we're beyond the, the racism and inequality that is currently exists. And, and so I want to be a part of that movement. And in any way I can, I can do that, I'm going to do it. So, and, and that's, you know, through your platform, through running, like it, it becomes a part of it. So it's just, I don't think I could put more fire into it now. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I always say that I think if you believe in something that's bigger than yourself too, it's just so much easier to, to exist, like just to be, to care. Like sometimes there's tough days where you get out of bed, but then you're like, man, like for me, it's like, oh man, like someone's still paralyzed. Like, 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 yeah, I can walk. I'm freaking lucky, but like, I'm doing this for, you know, the person who didn't have great medical insurance or the person who wasn't lucky. And, you know, I, th I think it's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's tough reality to come to, um, to be like, damn, um, there's people being treated a lot worse in life than I'm treated, which is just hard to hard pill to swallow. I'm sure. Yeah. And you know what? Like, it's crazy because I never even thought about like that being part of your why. And, and that's so powerful, you know, like when you think about the fact that you are who you are, even after everything you've been through and how many people look at you and look up to you and, and have hope because of you, like, that's just, you can't give people a better, a better gift than that. Like hope is something people search for their entire lives. <laughs> Yeah, and we can be so selfish as athletes too. And it's it's I feel like it's so much easier to not be so selfish. Um, like you said, like Dennis is I mean, Dennis is one of my favorite peeps. And you know, it's especially when it comes to practice, I feel like I always run uh faster whenever Dennis comes out to practice. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's really cool that he's even maybe more part of your why now than he was about a year ago. Which is yeah, really cool. yeah, no, totally. And yeah, all of that. I, I yeah, I, I couldn't even speak more to how important whys are and, and hearing your why and that's really powerful and I just that's so sort of the cool part about sport is hearing people's why, I think. Yeah, no, it's uh yeah, it's it's always funny how you can get to that same end result, but there's just so many different turns and bumps that 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 you go through. And I, I think this would be a really good opportunity. I'm just curious because adversity is something that I, I almost love, which is kind of weird, weird to say, but has there been a moment in your life where um, something was really, really tough and you looked at it so negatively? And then now you look back and you're like, actually, that was my greatest, greatest success because that set me up to be the person who I am today. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I mean, 
it's hard because I feel like I've had a lot of moments like that <laughs> for some reason I feel like it's it's repeated you know something bad happens I look at it like it's the end of the world and then all of a sudden I realize it's the best thing that ever happened to me but if I could zero in on one um and and I know she wouldn't mind me talking on this because she's opened up about it recently but I was roommates with um a girl from Australia in university her name was Robin Bennett and she was extremely talented and, and loved running just as much as me. Um, but she, you know, ran into some depression, a little bit of an eating issue. And yeah, it, it was really, really, really hard. Like I was roommates with her. We were best friends. We were training partners. And I never saw depression up close like that. And seeing it firsthand was like being in a dark tunnel with no flashlight like you just didn't know what to do didn't know how to help I, I tried to let people know what was going on and, and reach out for help but I think a lot of people see depression as the same way like they don't want to get involved they don't know what to do and it, it just seems like this lost pathway that no one knows how to handle and long story short you know it ended up being too much it ended up getting to a place that was was really bad. And um, she ended up having to pull out of university and take some time away. And she never returned to running. And that whole thing, it was so difficult because it was a mix of watching someone I love get torn apart by the sport that I love. And it was difficult to, to find joy in it, knowing that and seeing it that way. And I had to find a new perspective quick and it wasn't easy. And for a long time, I was just angry and sad and all kinds of emotions. But, you know, when I did finally turn it around, I was able to, to recognize that, you know, running was a place that was dark for her, but it wasn't for me. And, and I could still run for her you know, in, in spite of everything she went through. And, and honestly, like watching her overcome what her depression and now she's like a nurse and she's like a, a fitness guru and she's just doing so well in her life. Like it's, it's motivating. It gives me inspiration. And, and a lot of times when I'm going through a training cycle and I just feel like, oh my God, I can't go out for my second run, I'm going to die. <laughs> I think of her and I, and I think like, man, if she can overcome something so difficult and so complicated, then I can get out for my run. And so, yeah, it, that, although that event was really, really difficult at the time, it's something that gets me through the hard times now. Yeah, no, and and I, I'm I'm curious. I think mental health. Um, I didn't know what mental health was to be honest until I moved to to Victoria. Like my my family, um, never was never would like negatively look at it, but they we would just never talk about it. Like it was never never ever talked about. Um, when did like the kind of the term mental health come into your view, and um, how has that journey been for you? Yeah, I mean, I was similar to you. Like I grew up in a family that believed in like uh, sim like exactly what you said like they weren't against the mental health and it's not that they didn't believe in mental health struggles but we were just more of the mindset that like you just keep on trucking forward you know like you don't let things get you down and and I 
I think a lot of people are that way. I don't think there is much awareness around on mental health and, and how different people deal with it. And, and I'm even more aware of my own mental health now than I ever have before because I never saw it that way. And that was just my perception of it. But I think when I really became aware of it for the first time was because of what happened with my, my best friend and training partner. Like when I saw her go through that in a front row seat, I realized that for some people, mental health is like they don't know how to get out of a bad situation. And I get it. Cause like, I, I think since then I've been there in very small doses, you know, you get to a place in your life where you just feel all these emotions and you don't know how to deal with them. And I'm so grateful for John because I think he offers us so many tools and so many practices that, that keep us on track, you know, and, and keep us away from thinking that your emotion controls everything. Like, he teaches us how to discipline our emotions. and But I understand people who don't have those tools because I know if I didn't have them that my emotions would take control of me. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it's crazy. I remember when me and John met um, and I first got here and I was just like super messed up. Um, and like me and John were just kind of going through it and we like found out that it went back to when I was in ninth grade. Uh, when my ex-girlfriend committed suicide and, um, and like, I didn't, I, I didn't know that was, um, we had just broken up like a couple months and she just gotten drugs and committed suicide. And uh, I remember like having to write, like I wrote a letter to her and didn't like send it or anything, but just like kept it in my room. And like, who knows that what you've been pushing down for so long. And it's, 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 it's crazy. The things that, I mean, that, that that you struggle with and i think that's why it's so important in sport that's i feel like that's what we do sometimes we just keep pushing it down and pushing it down and pushing it down and it's um i'm just happy that we're able to talk about it on this and especially with someone like you yeah i know totally and i mean uh, i'm i'm i mean I, I can't say again like i'm just like you i've always pushed down my problems and not talked about them and i'm sorry i didn't know about your girlfriend and i can't imagine how difficult that must have been because I know what it was like to be in an almost close situation to that. And it was terrifying. So uh, yeah. my, my condolences to you for that, but yeah, uh, it's crazy to think. I mean, it was, I mean, like 10, 10 years ago. I mean, it's, you know, it's just crazy to think, but um, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll finish this more on a, on a, uh, <laughs> happy on a, on a happy note. Um, you know, I think it's, I really created this podcast to really, help the younger generation to have a blueprint and understand that there's so many different ways to get to the end result. Um, you know, you've gotten it completely different way than I've gotten it. Um, and so I was uh, just wondering if you had any advice for the next generation coming up, um, what are a couple of things that maybe you wish you would have done, uh, done, done different and maybe a couple of things that, uh, that you're happy that, that you went through. Yeah. Okay. That's a, that's a tough one, but I'm going to, I'm going to try to make it short and sweet. <laughs> I think if I could offer any advice of all the things I've learned, it would be one, you got to go after the things you love, no matter what, like if you figure out that you love something more than you love anything else in your life, you got to pursue it and, and you can't stop until you you feel like you've done what you wanted to do because if you don't it's going to haunt you for the rest of your life 
but you also have to keep checking in, you know, and make sure that the love is still there because as human beings, I think we're capable of loving all kinds of different things. But as long as you have passion for it, as long as the fire's burning, you got to keep going no matter what comes in your way. And secondly, I would say, you know, I think we all get in a rush to accomplish our goals and to have this fancy list of accolades. But, you know, if there's anything I wish I did more, I wish I would have enjoyed more of the moments I was experiencing and not been so focused on the the future plans and the ahead goal and and just been more present and immersed. I think I would have had a better time, so to speak. And, you know, the last thing I'll say as my number three is as much as it's important to hold yourself accountable and be disciplined and do all the right things in order to achieve the things you want to achieve, I think it's more important to be kind to yourself. So, you know, if you have something of a constructive criticism that you want to say to yourself, make sure you back that up with something good, you know. Don't forget to tell yourself that you're a badass and that you're going to take on the world. And even though you've made mistakes, it doesn't matter because you're willing to own those mistakes, learn from them and be better. And that's what makes you a badass. That's what I would, I think that's what I would say to the younger generation. Awesome. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's so funny The you know, the, the, I wish I enjoyed the moments more. Like I feel like that's every athlete after they're done, they, they allude to something of that. And it's just so important to actually enjoy the road. I mean, cause at the, at the end of the day, I mean, even like when I won worlds, like I, it wasn't as good as I thought it was going to feel, um, nothing close. Um, but like the hug to, uh, when I hugged Heather after that was like the moment that was like the coolest for me. Um, so it's, it's, it's funny how you like almost dream of this moment and then it's just not that it's not as good as you think it is. And it's, uh, yeah, it's kind of funny sometimes. Well, and I feel like that means so much coming from you, you know, because you've reached the pinnacle, you know, everyone wants to win worlds, everyone wants to set records, and you've done that. And so to hear you say that, like, that means a lot, because it means that it's true, you know, the moments you have, when you accomplish that are actually more important than the moment itself. And and I think, too, what you're trying to say is like, the journey is everything, like, and so going to practice with you and, and seeing you work hard every day and having you there and us working hard together, that's probably going to be one of my highlights versus like making the Olympics or being in the Olympic final or anything like that. Yeah, no. And uh, let's, let's, let's talk about your sponsors. Um, New Balance, um, obviously, they've supported you for a while now, which is awesome. Um, and so just how is that re- re- relationship relationship been and how important has that been um you know in your career yeah i mean new balance picked me up in in 2017 and i was so excited so grateful and they've been absolutely incredible like i couldn't be more proud to be a part of a brand like the new balance brand you know they're the one of the few companies that held on to um, as far as I know, like most of their athletes through the pandemic and supporting them through to the postponement of the Olympics where other companies have done the opposite. And so I just feel like something that's special for me about New Balance is they really do make you feel like you're a part of a family, like they're a private owned company. 
they they do so much in the community and although <laughs> it's really amazing having super fancy outfits and fast shoes you know they're not just about that they're about offering good back into the world and and they took a stance that i was proud of on the social justice movement and on the pandemic and i i've just there's never been a point in my career where i've thought man, New Balance could do better at this. They're always on the frontier of doing all the right things. And, and that makes you feel proud. Like I think something that really drives me beyond my why is who I represent, who's in my team. And, and the fact that I, I represent the West Hub and, and Heather and Jeff and, and you as my training partner and my other training partners and my family, my friends, my hometown and, and New Balance, like those people make me proud and I feel honored to represent them. And that, that goes into my drive because I want them to feel proud too. I want to give back a gift to them because they've given me so much. And so I think, you know, John also always talks about your sacred circle. And when you're, you have a sacred circle that really uplifts you and brings out the best in you, you reach your best self. And so I feel very grateful and, and honored to have so many special people in my life that do that every single day. And when I get on the start line and I have new balance on my chest, it's important to me that I do well for them and that I make them proud because they have been an absolute like joy to me and, and they've given me so much and I just want to give a small piece back to them as a appreciation. No, that's great. That's a great way to put it. And like you said, like you basically are where you come from too. I mean, I think, I, th I think that's so important. That's, um, you know, I think, I think your roots are just, that's just helps you and who you are. Uh, and that's why I always like on the podcast, I kind of learn about that. And, um, you know, it was really cool talking, hearing you talk about Niagara Falls and kind of where you came from, which is, which is really, really, really cool in my eyes. Um, and so now we have some rapid fire questions. These are more fun. Um, and, then, <laughs> and then two final questions. And then, uh, then you'll be done with me for the day. For the uh, day. <laughs> <laughs> so first off, if your life was a movie, what would be the title? Get rich or die trying. <laughs> dream destination uh mount everest summit <laughs> oh my um favorite place you have traveled to victoria easily sea level or altitude altitude all day <laughs> favorite new balance kicks Mm. Well, for a trainer, the 1080s, because they offer you a soft ride and they're light. Um, and for fast shoes, I love the 1400s and the fuel cells. Nice. Love it. Love it. And then two final questions. Where can people find you? Oh, you can uh find me on Instagram. Uh, my handle is at Mariah underscore Kelly one. Uh, I'm on Twitter, but I don't tweet. I don't know. I don't know. what I, I, I like to talk shit in person. <laughs> um, and then I'm on Facebook, but also not really. So probably mostly Instagram or if you're lucky enough in the flesh. <laughs> 
I can vouch that she does like talking crap in person more than over text. That is, that is, I can definitely vouch for that. And lastly, question I ask everyone, what do you want your impact to be on the world? Um, I think if I, you know, I could just have one thing, like if I die and this is the only thing I do, I just want to inspire someone else to go after their dreams the way I'm going after mine because it's been an unbelievable ride. And I think anytime you can get someone to believe in themselves more than they would have if they didn't watch you in your journey, then that's a really special moment. So yeah, one person tells me that one time and I'm gonna be the queen of the world. <laughs> I love it, Mariah. Thanks so much for coming on. It was so much fun chatting with you. And I, crazy, I thought I knew a lot about you, but <laughs> I learned even more. You know what? I feel the same way. I learned so much today. So now I like, this is a secret, but I might have more respect for you. Believe it or not. <laughs> Guys, that means she's going to kick my butt tomorrow in a workout or something. So, In my well, dreams, I do. <laughs> Well, well, Mariah, that's a great place to end. Thank you so much for coming on the Shadja Girl podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much to Mariah for taking the time to jump on the podcast. The two things I found interesting was how her awareness and perspective have grown over the years. And a lot of it's a direct reflection on her fiance, Dennis. I also really admire her relentlessness coupled with her resilience. If you listen to this episode on Apple Podcast, I really appreciate it if you give us a review. We continue to expand the Strides with Grable podcast. For more content, you can follow us on Instagram at Strides with Grable. Remember, disability is an inability.